Hello, movie fans. Dimitri Panos here on the Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where today we discuss Robert Zemeckis's 18th movie, Allied. See you soon. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Well, hello, movie fans. Again, this is Dimitri Banos from the Popcorn Talk Network, Anatomy of a Movie. And I'm joined with the person who we started it all, <laughs> Marissa <laughs> yeah. Serafini. Hey, hello, Marissa. Hello, Dimitri. Hello, everybody. Yes, I'm Marissa Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. And you can support me if you choose on Twitter at DMovies1701. Now that we've gotten that out of the way... Um, we we are today talking about uh, Robert Zemeckis, great director Robert Zemeckis, his 18th movie. Wow. Wow. He's had quite the career. Quite an amazing career. I mean, he could have stopped at three movies. Right. <laughs> but Those three movies. thank God he continued on. Um, and this movie is a throwback World War II romantic spy thriller called Allied, starring Brad Pitt and Marion Cotillard. Trying to do it with a French accent. I can't do it. Just like Brad Pitt's French accent was off. There's no way. Um, (laughs) In any case, uh, as we always start the show off, we we, we talk about uh, what we thought about it. So, Marissa, please. You know what? I... There were some things about this movie that I really enjoyed, and some things that I not so much. Um, for Bob, um, Robert Zemeckis, I was like really looking forward to this one, and it looks great despite all the scandal that's going on behind the scenes with this film. You know, I I thought the concept was great. Always the spy thriller kind of mm-hmm. who who do we trust in your relationship? I thought that was a great concept to go about, and. I mean, Brad Pitt and Marianne Cotillard, they are both so well-renowned as actors mm-hmm. themselves individually. Put them together, and it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love any World War II story. You know me. We've yeah. covered a lot of World War II Absolutely. movies here. So anything World War II time era fascinates me, no matter what it is. And um, so I thought they got the period down beautifully. It looked great. I think the storyline is where it kind of fell a little flat, for mm-hmm. me, more so, I mean, we had the the story of, you know, hey, she's a spy, the wife is a spy. But, like, other than that, what else happens? Yep. There, there, I don't think it, it was too simple of a storyline for me to constantly keep engaged for this movie for two hours. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, for me, and I'm going to put my, 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 my geeking hat uh, on for, for, for a second. So... It's definitely a throwback World War II spy thriller, and it has its nods to films of a different era. Um, things like, you know, the Saboteur, Under Suspicion, Eye of the Needle, um, and of course, Casablanca. I love okay? Casablanca. And of course, Casablanca, and there's even a little bit of Lawrence of Arabia to be found in Allied. All great don't overpower the movie. They don't take over the movie. They're just nice, subtle nods to to, to previous films of a, of a different era uh, in which and this movie was really made, <clears throat> you know, cut from the cloth of those various other movies. Um, you know, yet for me, even though it was beautifully shot, handily directed by Robert Zemeckis. And he worked very hard to try and build suspense. But personally, I thought it was script, coupled with some performance, that they they give away the spy. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 like there, 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 there are some great plot points, but there weren't enough. If you're going to have a spy thriller, there weren't enough MacGuffins or misdirections to 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 get off the point. And here, spoiler: we are a very spoiler rich uh, movie. That 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 pointed direction away from Marion Cotillard's character as being the spy. Like I sort of kind of knew from listening to her dialogue and such that, and knowing what the story was about, that she was the spy. Mm-hmm. And that sort of kind of took away some of the suspense of the movie for me. But yet, I thought that. As you were saying, that in their own right, they're really solid actors. 
putting them together, I think it was a really good pairing. And I found that there was definitely kindling for that fire, but it didn't blossom for me. Like, I didn't mind them together, but I also didn't think that there was the heavy passion chemistry either. And I think it might have been the choice, like, maybe the way Brad Pitt seemed a little bit subtle, almost too subtle. Um, and Marion, her character, Marion, was, she was a little bit cold. And everything seemed to be almost calculated. Um, and we'll get to certain plot points, like when she was having the baby, which, beautiful, amazing scene, was, right? Yeah. Totally original. Course, yes. I've never seen um, So we'll talk about that a little bit um, later. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned, too, is how beautifully this movie looked. I have to shout out, because this woman, if you watch this show, um, this woman is very near and dear to my heart because she was, she. I worked uh, as part of her team my first job when I moved to L.A., and that's costume designer, Academy Award nominee costume designer, Joanna Johnston. Mm. And I have to give her a shout out because her costumes capture the period and showcase that even in wartime, People looked vogue. Like, they looked stunning Mm -hmm. in what they wore. And it wasn't flashy stunning. It was that period, which I love the style of that period. So the movie looked good, even from a costume standpoint, So which we'll talk about the detailing Absolutely. I think visually and like the, all the technical aspects of this film, I think we're like really up to par. I think the stories were was like probably the part where I had the most I don't want to say issues, but like where I found lacking a little bit. Whereabouts? Yeah. Like yeah, whereabouts? Well, the just the storyline. I mean, we get these two paired together on on a assignment, right? And that takes up the first probably good solid 40, 45 minutes of the movie. And that's, it was kind of like a big climactic scene once they take out the German ambassador. Right. And then afterwards, you're like, okay, what else happens? Like, they work together, and then we, thanks to the trailer, and anyone who's going into this movie who knows what it's about, we know that they get married, your wife is a spy. And then the rest of the movie is like, okay, we know she's a spy, now let's get to it. Yeah. It, I think it was just too slow of a burn for to watch Max Vitan find out all these things about his wife just to confirm that she's a spy. Yeah, I mean his his um his hunt for this is, you know, trying to figure that out. I I thought that was perhaps one of the more interesting parts. I want to go back to the set piece that you mentioned at the beginning of the you know, towards mm-hmm. in the first half of the movie. Um I want to ask you, and I'm going to leave this out to the audience as well to comment on. Did you find that it was all too easy? Like they seem to just like what was all too easy? They 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 their assignment. Well, not the assignment. The assignment sounds very hard. Mm-hmm. The way they carried it off and then got away, it seemed a little bit easy. For, like they they shot them. And then they're out the door yeah, in no a car and they're out them. and nobody like, like chased them. I couldn't help but think of the scene that took place in Inglorious Bastards mm. when they were in the the, 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 the theater also starring <laughs> Brad Pitt, you know, and killing Hitler. Those guys had a hell of a lot, a harder time trying Getting to get out, out of that theater. Yeah. And and again, I, I know he was just a Nazi ambassador, which we learn later on. He was not a Hitler sympathizer. He was a Hitler dissident. So maybe that was why it was so easy for them to get out. But the first thing I thought of was there was no car chase. There was a, mm-hmm. like, they just walked out. They literally walked out at a brisk pace. But br- they walked <laughs> They literally walked out, out got into the car, drove away. He proposed. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm in love with you. We just did some action climactic scene. Let's get married. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, Again, beautifully rendered and shot. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I yeah, I agree. I thought it was too easy as well. Um, I think the the cool thing that like actually got me engaged in the film is that okay, they're both on this assignment. They're meeting each other for the first time. They have to go through all these obstacles just to get to the party that had the the person that they were you know assigned to kill right out. 
It's like, I thought that was cool, how they had to work together for the first time and yep. kind of build their relationship between those two. Um, but then after that, I'm like, what else can happen? What yeah. else can be as climatic as this right now? And those are the first 45 minutes. Yeah, I don't disagree. And, and also, I'm going to throw in there, too, their first meeting when he walked in and they were at the nightclub and he sees it for the first time. That, to me, is is the scene where, for me, they at least had the most spark. Like, she turns around and has this smile, and they did sell it that they had that they were a couple that had been together for some time. It, and to me, like later on down the movie, it never seemed to reach that 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 pitch. Yeah. Um, for me, it was like the stakes weren't <clears throat> as high to Perhaps. make it believable. Yeah, 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 and. Um, and for me, it was like a little bit story wise. Well, you said it was like a little bit too simple. Like the the department that Brad Pitt works for is a very thorough researched department. So when they brought Brad Pitt in to, to break the news, um, you know, it's a very interesting scene. But that's where they mention, oh, and by the way, is that Nazi ambassador that you killed? Well, he really he was not a Hitler sympathizer. He was a dissident, and that's why he was killed. And I was like going, how did you, A, miss that minor detail? Right. And B, now you're bringing it up? Like, mm-hmm. you, I mean, because in a sense, then that, miss, that mission was sort of a failure from the Allies' point of view. Yeah, from they like, just the lost... people he just worked with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how did you miss that detail? See that I think that was also my issue. I think um, that it's good that you bring that that up too because it seems that there were so many discrepancies and inconsistent with the people he was working for. Yeah, I'm like how trustworthy are they if they keep missing all these big points in their life? Like they they even said in the movie that it's like went through a very thorough vetting system and they went <laughs> to you know look over Marianne Bouzejour's uh-huh. background just to get approved to go to a new country. Yeah. And so, like, we get the idea that they did a background check on her, she approved, but, like, how thorough was that background check if they made a mistake about her, and then they also made a mistake about the, the mission that they were on? Yeah, yeah, who ends up being an ally. Yeah. <laughs> like, you like, know. Which... Uh, you killed our, like, that was actually yeah. a friendly fire. Yeah. Uh, there's, an enemy fire. there's nothing friendly about that fire. I mean, that was a great but, scene. Like, but, you know, so so that was, like, number... Like, the, the, that was a scene that I was like, well, how did they not know? And my other thing about Marianne's character, too, is she was a very thorough... She was a very thorough character herself. Mm-hmm. And that she was even coaching, you know, um, Brad Pitt's character, right? Max. Max's... She was coaching Max. That's how thorough she was. But she didn't learn how to play piano? I know. Uh, again... I was like, it was a really swell plot point when we find out, no, yeah, that that looks exactly like her, and she does wonderful paintings. What kind of paintings? Watercolors. What kind of... And and you're like, oh, okay. She goes, and she plays the piano beautifully, and you're... Uh, Wait, what? (laughs) uh, She forgot something. Well, well, also because that shows, like, yeah, she knew certain aspects of the previous Marianne Bouzier's life, but she didn't learn it all and or maybe she just like refused to learn the piano after all these years you think she'd be in front of a piano and someone might ask her but also that goes to show with max vatan's character yeah where once they're trying to get the invitation to the party and the guys like write down the chemical the the chemical great point for phosphate he was well well. researched he knew what he was doing like he knew this type of person would need to know this type of information And the fact that she didn't learn piano kind of bothers me. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know you bring up a real that was a great scene. That was great. By the, the way, the whole cutting of the, the deck. Was the whole cool. cutting of the deck. But like it also shows like his character was well researched. Really uh-huh. took the time to learn exactly what he needed. Yeah. To play the part. Yeah, like like and a good spot. Yeah, and she did up to this one minor detail that she ended up being the minor. well. That's true. It ended up being the the, the detail that. Pulled the thread on her on everything. Yeah, and so those were certain details that I that I sort of kind of found like just interesting because again, if I know she's a spy, and 
through her dialogue at the very beginning, he was like, wow, it really looks like you love these people. When they're in the car, she goes, well, I play to their feelings. I have to make it real. And, you know, and then she said, I, I actually do like them, but that's how I get my job done. I have to play to their feelings. So automatically I'm on edge when I hear that dialogue because mm-hmm. I'm like going, okay, she's going to play to his feelings and how is this going to wrap out? And then she said um, during the scene, the birth scene, which we'll talk about, uh, we might as well do it now. She says, this is the person who I am. And I'm thinking, you're a person who's in constant <laughs> unnerving pain. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, you're like, in labor you're, right this now. This is the truth. This is what you're seeing. Uh, what you're seeing is like real. And I'm like going, well, if that's real, then I, wait, what does that mean? Uh, so there wasn't enough distraction like they tried like you know mm-hmm. they tried to set up distraction but i don't know it ultimately it didn't end it didn't work for me but let's talk about that scene um because writer uh stephen knight says you know in allied uh we haven't seen in recent history that there were scenes that we haven't seen in a while or, or ever and one of them is that birthing scene and he was like, well... During an air raid. During an air raid. And he goes, as, and, and Stephen Knight goes on to say, and this comes from Slash Film, you know, as you go through writing the script, you have these, not a problem, but you have, okay, this has got to get done. You've got to go from the wedding to them waking up with a baby. What happens in between? Well, she's got to have the baby. It's got to be wartime. So you could just see her giving birth. Then the hospital in Hampstead is bombed. Okay, so where they live. So why not have that? It's an air raid, and it's a birth, and it's everything. Just bring it all in, because that's what's great about having a bigger budget. You know how you can do it in Robert Zemeckis. Execution is going to look incredible, which it did. did. I mean, that scene amidst all this mayhem that's going on around them. You know, and then she's giving birth. Like outside with tracers and explosions, yeah, and it was a beautiful disaster. Yeah, that's what it was. And and you know what else I appreciated about this film too is that Zemeckis purposely wanted to stay away from from scenes that we've seen in other World War II in England. Like he said, I didn't want to show Big Ben. I didn't want to show like those balloons, the zeppelins around Big Ben, and mm-hmm. things like that. So he did. I mean. To great success, we did see different aspects of England uh, of that wartime, and he sure did make it look and sound real. I mean, it sounded amazing. I felt like I was getting bombed. Yeah. <laughs> like I would not want to be yeah. like, anywhere where those guys were. Um, yeah. I, again, it, yeah, it looked beautiful. It sounded great. I think uh, the, the whole birthing scene was kind of cool because I thought actually it was going to go longer, but that was like a quick three minutes on screen yeah but it was impactful because it showed that this was the first time they were like truly i think on screen like their love brought them together and they're now starting a family in amidst this chaos um shows that they really are just together in in the war yeah and like i think that was the moment where like i truly believe that they like were in love as a couple husband Mm -hmm. and wife soon to be parents yeah yeah, it was a really great scene. Another scene that I found very interesting and that, that, that came up often was the um the party scene. <clears throat> like they had the party a few scene. Parties in this scene. Well in, um, in this movie. Okay. The party scene at the house. Like that During big the second air raid? Yeah. And and it has been described it was as, as very bohemian, which is which I found interesting. Oh, and they found interesting sex in the closet and stuff. That one, yeah, yeah, that's oh, the okay. one. That the, like the house party, because it's sort of, you know, much research was actually done regarding that party, and we all see Britain and English as being very stolid and being very, you know, uh, emotion like just we're we're gonna get through this, you know. This party shows a side that we've really never seen in, in, in film during a war movie in that they were living life day by day, not knowing if and when that a bomb was going to have their name on it. So they were living this 
this life where there was a lot of sex and cocaine and drugs and just like, hey, I got to do this day by day. I found that a very interesting. I, I found it very interesting that it came a lot of, that it came up a lot in the research that I was doing that the party was a very important aspect of the movie. What I didn't understand, <clears throat> I'm going to throw this question out to you: is what do you think the importance was that Max had to invite his sister to the party, Lizzie Kaplan? Oh, uh, Lizzie. Um, like, I, I don't think she needed to be there, but I think it was more so because this was at the point where he is under the mission of finding out the truth about his wife. And the character Lizzie Kaplan played, Bridget Vatan, his uh, Vatan, his sister, was like the out and proud <coughs> lesbian at the time. Right. And the only family other than his wife that he could trust, quote unquote. So I think it was more so like <coughs> he had to have someone also there by his side that he could tell literally anything to and trust other than his wife. Okay. And at the party, and it feels like that was kind of her kind of scene as well. Like, it, that was her environment, her people that she can easily get along with. Yeah, but, but he made it a, like, because they had had other plans, they were going to go somewhere else, but he said, listen, I really, it's it's very important that you come. And I found it sort of odd that... Moral um, <clears throat> Okay. You know, I think it was, it was more just... support because he literally just got the mission right. to find out about his wife, and then he goes over to his sister, be like, "They're blue dye," and he divulges her. classified information to her. Yeah, <laughs> so but I, I, I think yeah. it's like he just wanted family. There okay, gotcha. Because I was like the way you know, I was just maybe I was overanalyzing because it was like, how did that move the plot? Like, what did she do to confirm or deny? whatever suspicions because i thought that's what he brought her over for it's like listen i need your help you, mm-hmm. you gotta be there the for the support i want maybe from your angle you can try to vet something out but that never really happened you know so i mean i mean I just found Lizzie it interesting. Kaplan, she, she's a good actress and we know that she's been on a lot and can accomplish a lot and i was just kind of <clears> sad <throat> that we didn't see more of her character agreed like i felt it was like underutilized uh, and I, I guess that's what I was getting at. Like, mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be more um, of her. Than her and two again, that she was there. wouldn't that have set up a little more suspense had our main character's sister found a thread to pull on? And does some investigating of her own. And, like, from a woman to a woman finding out something, too. I think that just adds a whole nother dynamic to figuring out who Marianne Bouzajour is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And still, as we talk about the party, then comes the other scene, which they tried to set up as a MacGuffin, where Max sees uh, Mary talking to this gentleman who looked very, like, German evil scientist with his beard and you know he's like he's a jeweler <clears throat> shady and he was selling, selling me a brochure but i'm watching it going brooch a, a brooch i was like uh, yeah i'm not buying it i i didn't buy that i was like you know i wasn't buying it so that at the end when it comes out that he was part of her network i was mm-hmm. like yeah of course he was of course he was <laughs> um but which was also upsetting about his character is like they already set it up that we know that she's working with him but by the time of his death at the end we didn't even see it the audience didn't see it we only saw gunshots flashes off to the side and it was implied that max shot him but like the his character didn't even was like yeah he helped but in what way in what way other than being another person in England to help her? Yeah, I just again, I think it was part of the network. The way that I read that scene that you're you're, you're talking about, they they pull up in front. Mm-hmm. Max is has vetted out and is it's killing the longest the, he's, wait. He's too. killing the he's killing that network. Um and he goes up there, but I think I think the the purpose may have been to set up some semblance of suspense where, like, because she was getting ready to run, where Max had gotten killed because it it took an overlong time, too long of a time, you know, to before anything happened, and she was getting nervous that me, and then when the gunshots went off, she, the character didn't know who it was that was shooting the gun. 
and hence she was ready to run, and then she sees Max come out. But I'm with you. I didn't. I didn't believe that. Like his character had else. no <clears throat> reward at the end. Like, right. why bring him up just to say that he helped her along all these years just to kill him off, and we didn't sure. even see it. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you take him out of this movie, right, you don't change anything. Nothing changes. Yep. So I, I feel like it was a waste of time building up a character where not, that nothing happened with. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, it's it again. It was just one of those things that it's part of the story. Um, maybe in simpler times, like I think this movie would have worked better even ten years ago. You know that than like say today. You know, I applaud it for for being original. I applaud it for being this throwback. I applaud it for even being a beautiful period piece that's a World War II thriller that, you know, I mean, I'm with you. I think those movies can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. This movie had moments of it, but I but I wanted a little bit more. So um, why don't we... Uh, do you have any information regarding Stephen Knight, the writing of, like, what inspired him and or... Oh, yeah. What was the process and... The development <clears throat> uh, for for this movie that Stephen Knight actually knew about this story um, is, he says, quote, unquote, the story of the movie Allied has been sitting outside my office door like a stray dog for 30 years waiting to get made. And uh, he found it while he was in the U.S. in the early 80s. So this is how long it's been mm-hmm. for him. And when he was graduating college back in the 80s, and he, he just knew about the story. And um, he there was, there was it's kind of actually based on a true story of a man um, suspecting his wife was a German spy. And actually the real story ends up that he had to shoot her. And he actually did execute his his wife at the time, whereas you know in the movie they kind of changed it for thematical elements, right? And they changed it for dramatic purposes, really. But uh, it is based on on a real life event that mm-hmm. happened. Um, knowing that, while I went into this film, I was like, okay, so what really is going to happen? You knew this before watching the movie. Yeah, I, I knew. You did. I knew about the original story before I came into okay. watching it. Okay, did that did that um, taint your viewing of the movie, knowing going in, or were you not, were you expecting maybe not a different really, because outcome? Because while I'm watching the movie, we see the <clears throat> true love from Max's character. Like he is so torn over this. He truly loves his wife. He doesn't want to do anything to hurt her. He's willing to do high treason. Just so she stays alive, you know. Right. So I had never once in this film that I thought he was actually going to do harm to her. So once we saw the ending and that didn't happen, I was like, "Yeah, I kind of I believed it just because of what I watched." On yeah, screen. we'll talk. I want to talk about the ending in a little bit, and I do agree with you that from Max's standpoint, from Max's viewpoint, I too agree that he was greatly in love with this woman. I just didn't buy it from the other side. I almost felt like it was calculated that if she was a spy, this is the perfect person for me to hook up with. And, oh, to sell this more, might as well have his, you know, we're going to get married. I'm going to have a kid. You know, and I may love the kid, but ultimately my goal is to get information to the Nazis. And this is the best way to do it because I'm in. Mm. And I've got the best guy to be in with because of his position. Will protect and, her. Yeah. Literally. And so hence my my thing I mean we could talk about the end. I mean she kills herself. He shoots herself. He I saw that coming. Yeah, same here. And I didn't reason being that the the movie ended that way, they said too, is there, there it was twofold. A, they wanted to show her love for Max and the child. Okay, and then following that scene, um, we have this scene that was very well shot, like her writing the letter. It was almost as if a ghost mm-hmm. was writing this letter That's about cool. "I love you, Max," and and she writes this to, to to prove that she really did love them. But I didn't buy it. Like I didn't. 
<clears throat> because she was still a spy. Like, someone who loves somebody that much would have stopped being a spy. Like, would have really loved that person for being who they were, but yet she still had him duped and was still selling off information, and she passed the blue dye exam. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, well, well, by passed, well, she failed it. She failed it. Yeah, all right, she failed it. So she was still using him Mm -hmm. in the disguise of being this person's wife. Um, So I wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily buy that. And as her showing of love. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of understand what you're saying with that because that that scene where she we see her write the letter and actually speak it out loud <clears throat> to the audience happened literally right after she shot herself. Right. But then probably 20 seconds on screen. So yeah. it went from her personal death to her personal letter. That she wrote because she sort of kind of knew I what just, was coming. I think emotionally it couldn't get there fast enough. Mm. Going from her death to love. Right. And I, I had a hard time connecting to that scene. Like, I believe she was in love with with Max. And she did have a love for her daughter. Um, but it was just hard to get there and have it really be impactful after what just happened on screen. Other than Brad Pitt's performance and breakdown and crying yeah. and, <clears throat> and whatnot. Um, and then it had the footnote at the end of the movie where they were on that ranch... Obviously, mm-hmm. time had passed. Time passed. You know, and he was with his daughter, his older daughter, and they were, you know, riding horses together. And the color and the, changed. Did you yes. realize that? Uh-huh. It, oh, yeah. it went from, like, that saturated gray to right. actual bright yellow, green. Green. Outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, it, I, I kind of like to kind of end it on a happier Absolutely. note for his character. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was but. done with the Zemeckis... You know, flip. Charm. You know, he, he, you know, people forget that this guy, maybe they don't, but I will remind, you know, this guy invented technology. You know, he invented, you know, he invented the camera that could put two people in a scene flawlessly without scenes, without having to film it. Like, you know, in Back to the Future Part 2. When actors had to play off one another, um, he also invented technology and who framed Roger Rabbit, um, you know, for how to have a camera, you know, on somebody and have people look as if they're actually interacting with a cartoon. You know, the guy is a visually stunning director. Um, Forrest Gump has its great scenes. Um, were we talking about not too long ago Castaway? Yeah, right. We were talking about Castaway, you and I, not too long ago. The movie Contact has some amazing flourishes. Uh, even movies like What Lies Beneath, you know, the way he can move a he camera. He can visualize. Yeah, he's a great. He, I still, I believe he's a great storyteller. You know, this one, while it had some of his visual flair, I just felt. I actually thought that the the problem was more script than it was Zemeckis. Yeah, exactly. I was like, my problem was this actual story. I think it was, I mean, I don't want to complain it was like too simple of a story because <laughs> a lot of times I do say this movie was, like a certain movie was easy to follow. This movie was a little too easy to follow. Yeah. And I don't feel like some of the stakes were high enough for me to be engaged for another hour and 40 minutes of mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. For something that yeah. we already know. Sure. So well, let's talk a little bit about um, where Robert Zemeckis does talk um, about editing. Um, found this off of uh, ComingSoon.net. It was a really good interview. And he was asked, uh, his movies themselves, do they change a lot in the editing room? And I found this fascinating because he says they change in the editing room, but I don't rearrange the story. He says, I'm a very meticulous filmmaker. I shoot exactly what I need. I don't shoot a bunch of stuff and then try to build the movie afterwards. I don't want to shoot any more than I absolutely have to. You know, that's a great insight. Yeah. You know, I mean, he gets what he wants. He works with his second AD as well. And he works with um, the cinematographer. He's worked with Don Burgess. But I just love... 
how he, at this point in two in his career, you know, for how he started off working low budget movies, I want to hold your hand, um, used cars, a, a great underappreciated comedy, very low budget. But when you're working with a low budget, you have to be more, you have to be a little, you have to get a thing in your feet. And then Back to the Future, when you see what he accomplished from a visual standpoint, and I, I just like the fact that he says, you know, he also worked in film. You could, in that era, you didn't want to shoot a ton because that instantly would raise your budget. Because if you were wasting film, you were, you were, you know, you, you, your budget was becoming inflated. So I like how he says, now nah, I'm very meticulous. I shoot what I need. And then in the, in, in the editing room, that's yeah, what we piece together. Yeah, and they actually kind of kept it simple for the actors, too, and just the how they executed everything for the production end of this. I didn't realize how much <clears throat> VFX actually went into this film. A ton. A ton. A lot. Out of seven, out of 954 total shots, 776 of them involved effects. Yeah. And you know, while I'm watching it at the beginning of this film... Um, you can easily tell, like, some more VFX shots. Some are green screen, some are blue screen, especially when they were sitting in a car. Um, and you, you had that rear projection behind them. I noticed that, too, but I, w- I was wondering. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was wondering if that was done on purpose. Yeah, it, it was because apparently it was easier for the actors to play off of against. And they had um, live time movement in the background because yeah. they put up big LED monitors behind them yeah. that actually had film that they shot themselves projected on these screens during live time while they're acting. Yeah, but I was but I was taking but it, it like sh- that step further because that's the, the way that's the yeah. way that movies were filmed and it again this movie oozes of that era of filmmaking so to speak which was great. Uh speaking of visual shots, the scene when they were at the um Cafe in Casablanca, actually shot in London. In London, yep. <laughs> uh, that was seamless to me. They put that in a small town square. They yes, just, seamless. It. You wouldn't know. Nope. Wouldn't um, know. I also loved into it's it's a you know it's a great Robert Zemeckis opening. The movie opens up in the desert. In the desert, yeah. And then you know we just see the legs come. Flying down and then I was the like, that's a rough landing. When you're parachuting outside of whatever, you you, you land on your on your butt, not your feet. <laughs> yeah, I just I just saying. like that scene and then, you know, the Lawrence of Arabia as he's Yeah, you know, crossing the desert scene. Beautifully shot. And again, this is a movie, folks, that like dislike, yeah, you would have to agree that it was really well shot and looked amazing up on the big screen. It it, on the big screen. For sure it did. Um, some of the planes were... The, the planes themselves were CG, um, but they actually did build like a half of a rig of a plane that yeah. they lit on fire uh-huh. um, just for it. It was the, the close-up. Yep. And we saw that plane crash down yeah, and almost yeah, yeah, hit yeah. them. That was the, the rig that they... That was a great scene, by the way. At the party, yeah. That was, that was great. scary. I was like, yeah, it uh, was. Y'all are just standing there watching this plane coming right towards you. I was like, uh, um, are you I at least going to duck yeah. <laughs> or I'd, run? I'd kind of run. It was a good and, scene. And like, fend for my life. Really good scene. Um, um, it was pretty cool. It was. Uh, for for the production aspect, uh, they filmed on amazing cameras, which are like the Red Dragon. Yes. Um, holy crap. And you can definitely tell. It was the Red Dragon and Panavision Prim, Primo 70 lenses, and they shot it in true 6K. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gorgeous. Again, yeah. gorgeous. And that, again, too, is, you know, you, I credit Zemeckis and his, you know, longtime cinematographer, Don Burgess. They work so well together um, that it's, it's like they can communicate without talking. So they know what they're looking for. And again, they're both men who come from film. So they are, you know, they're men who, like, you know, they know what it takes to edit. How to piece things together, how things look. You don't want to waste. How to light things, and in this particular um, in this particular movie, Don Burgess was saying that they had there, there was a company like the companies that they used. You know, were 
the via the, you know the visual effects company and the post company yeah. there was sort of one entity so it, he said it was great because i can do my visual effects i can do my post you know and then i worked with like colorists and you know we got everything down and he seems like a man that's our, well listen Zemeckis has been doing digital stuff now for a long time before digital became digital. He's Don Burgess seems to be very comfortable in the digital environment as to how he can make a movie look. Um, I'll I'll have to look it up. I believe he probably did, you know, Don Burgess probably did the walk. Um, But that movie, again, from a visual standpoint, you know, and the camera. Beautiful. If you don't have vertigo. You'd have it watching that movie, watch that movie, you know. Again, this is why I want to talk. You know, I think it's amazing what Zemeckis has accomplished in his career and what he's given movie-going audiences around the world as far as entertainment. I want to throw this question out: Why, you know, he's making movies like Allied or The Walk? They seem to be a little bit more personal stories. Movies like Flight. Okay. I'm just wondering if is he at a time in his career where and don't get me wrong, they're all original movies. I I love watching them. But, you know, you figure why doesn't a studio throw him another like a franchise type of picture? I mean, he can definitely do it. Is it because he's Does too he expensive? Want to do Does it? he want to do it? Is he too expensive? You know, we've talked... Go ahead. Yeah, well, the thing is, is, like, Zemeckis built his career on, like, a really original concept. I mean, we had the whole Back to the Future trilogy and stuff. And what those movies did so well is that they showed a certain aspect of filming that no one has really accomplished yet. And he did that. And I think these more recent films of his... Like, he's getting away from, like, what's groundbreaking to, like, the actual true just storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, the added effects with it. But, like, I felt like his earlier career was like, let's do something nothing nobody has done before and execute it well, and then we'll be remembered in that way. And now it's just getting back to, like, the roots of just good storytelling. Yeah. and, and, and Personal stories. And outside of Back to the Future, I can't think of any other Zemeckis' movies that were sequels. You know, I mean, Back to the Future, here's my wish. It's my Christmas wish, Mr. Zemeckis. I, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with you on Contact, which I always stayed fantastic, wonderful. Not only for me was it a wonderful experience. There, everybody was just tremendous. And I was a kid in a candy store. But it's a great science fiction film. Mm-hmm. And you pulled out all your directional talents across the board. But I would love for you to work again with Bob Gale because I argue... That Back to the Future, and I believe it's even being it's been taught in schools, is one of the, if not near perfect, perfect screenplays that you have. And from a story point for, for a trilogy of movies, too, I think that Back to the Future ranks right up there with the original Star Wars trilogy, the first, the, the you know, the original Indiana Jones trilogy. Like those three trilogies to me are are examples of really great storytelling. Mm-hmm. But Back to the Future, he and Bob Gale wrote everything out. And they wrote a beginning, a middle, and an end that really tied everything up so so expertly and sweetly that it's hard to come by today to do that. The only people who I think are, are sort of doing it are the Marvel people well, and tying in all of their movies yeah, and that's, franchises. That's the problem with Hollywood right now is that originality is lacking. Yes. That's why we have so many sequels now, because they're going off of stuff that's already established, already established stories. They made a lot of money, and they're bankable. Um, But it's hard to find a good original story nowadays that can be the next, more, say, potential trilogy. Not that even we wanted another trilogy or an extension of an already established franchise. It's just it's hard to find original stories now. Yeah, I mean, and, and most of the movies we covered this year here on Anatomy of Alone have been sequels. And and you know, to your point, Zemeckis agrees with you 100. Um, percent In an interview that he did with the Atlantic, he he was asked about uh, original storytelling, um, and he says, 
when you, you know, you don't see movies like this, like Allied. Um, and he goes, I'm very concerned that we don't make movies that are original anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing filmmakers can do is try to make a good movie or try to make good movies and make them as long as they allow us to keep making them. But at the end of the day, it's a business. And if audiences don't care, there's nothing we can do. I'll just go away, I guess. I don't want you to go away, (laughs) you know? Um, I'm glad he says that because then I think you and I would get along, Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, you know, I, I... I agree with him. I completely agree and, too. And you know, we I, prior to this, we talked about uh, we, were, we were doing Manchester by the Sea, a completely different movie from Allied, but yet an original story. Um, I don't want these original stories going away. Um, you know, there are the, there are plenty out there, and um, you know, I want Robert Zemeckis to be given more projects. So that, you know, maybe Allied wasn't a home run. I'd give it maybe it was a double. Okay. But uh, I'd still like to see. I still think he has a lot more in him, you know. And and again, he comes from a time when the word franchise, people, people didn't think Back to the Future was going to work. Yeah. And when you watch Back to the Future, that movie has a clear beginning, middle, and end. Okay. He saves the day. They do whatever. And... If Back to the Future didn't work, there wouldn't have been a two and or a three. You know, you couldn't finish off that trilogy. That's why filmmakers used to just try to make one good movie. And if audiences liked the movie, you had a good opening weekend and a good long run, the studio said, got to make a sequel. Where today, they're they're more like, well, how do I make a sequel to Allied? How do we franchise this picture? He marries another <laughs> woman who's also a spy, He becomes too. a spy. Or, or Hitler comes after Max. I mean, you can't, is, yeah, you is the answer. Uh, that's not really a bad thing in, in today's Hollywood. So, um, uh, Yeah, I think this movie stands alone. It does stand alone. <clears throat> um, yeah. It doesn't warrant a sequel because I don't think anyone would want a sequel out of this. Yeah. Um, because it had a beginning, it had a middle, and definitely had an end. Um, but I don't think he, Robert Zemeckis just to like keep working. He needs to do another franchise. He's right. already done it. Yeah. So like I think he's at his point in a career where he can just do literally whatever kind of movie he wants. Yep. And be fine. Yeah, and like I said, he's he's always been an innovator. In fact, if memory serves, if somebody can look this up for me, back in the eighties, um, maybe it was early nineties. He did create in the first interactive movie ever. I remember this in Boston, um, where basically there was a movie. You everybody in their seat had a um, had like a remote control, yeah. and as the movie was going, um, a certain signal would come up where the audience would say what would happen next. So and it was done by a quick it was a computer so it was quick tally so you had like one two or three and then the audience you know then the movie would go Jeez, in that fate. direction Jeez. oh I like that so you know it never really took off uh, I remember it taking place at the Copley Theater in Boston and this was a Zemeckis produced thing now it didn't exactly work but this was like in the eighties this is like but the early nineties he was thinking interactive before. Interactive became a word when it comes <laughs> right. to movies. This is why he's an innovator, and this is why, for me, he's very beloved in the in the canon I think of, that's, of yeah. great movies. I think that's what also makes just a story <clears throat> fun, because you watch that more than once. It's going to yeah. be a different ending every yeah. single time. It's kind of like the mystery of Edward Drood. Sure. That, <laughs> you know, the, the audience gets to choose who which pair ends up together, you mm-hmm. know? And that changes every single time. Yeah. Um, I like that. That's fun. Yeah. I, I forget the movie. We could look it up in the booth. It, it came out, like, somewhere in the 90s. I believe he produced it. But, but um, and while maybe that's happening, uh, let's talk about, because I brought it up, let's talk about costumes. I know costumes is something you love. I do. You talk about I it. I do. And, again, Joanna Johnston is very near and dear to my heart. She was one of the sweetest, kindest people to be part of her team. And I was just the PA, Okay, but she 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 and her crew um, 
made me feel like I was part of a team. And I know nothing about costumes. If you watch me on the show and see how I dress. <laughs> okay. But um, in this movie, I was surprised to find out she was only given two weeks of prep time. Wow. To research this movie. Out of everyone who has to look like they're in the 40s. And not only that, she's not just costuming our leads. Our beautiful leads, by the ways. Right. She's got a the supporting cast, all of the extras, everybody. The military men. Mm-hmm. Everybody who is in the movie has a costume that she's got to work with military advisors um, and even their their ranks, their ranks. Know, oh, it, the, you got to make medals. them right. Yeah, you got to do that too. Yeah, and I think they look gorgeous, especially like the color palette for both of them. Because overall, this movie visually was a bit saturated. Sure. Um, and uh, really like kind of cold color yeah. tones. So to have a purple dress stand out at the beginning, to to go to a lighter sky blue kind of color. So like just. Um, Marianne's wardrobe throughout the whole film already evolved, you know? Right. Well, you know, it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned the purple dress, um, because, uh, she goes from wearing this purple dress to a green dress in the shootout scene, but Joanna Johnson, and this comes from, of all places, Harper's Bazaar, yes, I, I turn, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, no stone goes unturned. <laughs> I will read an article from Harper's Bazaar. And they had a long debate about the color of that dress because the Americans called it purple. And all of us here in England, she is a Brit, um, uh, call it midnight blue. And there was a lot of discussion about it because the guy in the car with Max has to say what color that dress is. Like, if you remember, yeah. she is She's wearing a purple, a purple dress. dress. It's the only way he's going to recognize her. And uh, what did he say? Something about a bird, a mocking hummingbird. A hummingbird. So, um, so two sides of the Atlantic had two different opinions. And I wanted her to look sexy, beautiful, but not in a base sexy way. So we put the sex appeal in the back because I knew we were going to see her first from the back. But again... These are details that, like, this is what I love talking about. You gotta remember, like, his character, Max. Yeah. He's from Toronto. So, what color would he understand the most to look out for? Yeah. And for those who may be interesting, it was a beautiful Italian fabric, very fine, very delicate silk with all the silver shimmer through it. It's really pretty for the nighttime. But I just found that there was, well, we call it midnight blue. (laughs) Us (laughs) Americans call it purple. (laughs) So, um, I thought that that was very fascinating. That's neat. Yeah. Um, you know, and Joanna uh, was was inspired by old Hollywood films of that era. Um, definitely could see that. Mm-hmm. Wardrobes of Lauren Bacall, Barbara Stanwyck, Catherine I got a Hepburn. Lauren Bacall feeling in this movie. Didn't I you totally at certain, did, at certain yeah. times? Especially like how her hair was cut and how it was coiffed in this movie. Totally Lauren Yeah, even, even to in a sense of, uh, yeah, she, she Catherine Hepburn... Um, it was huge. She looked at Casablanca, not just for the sheer settings, because it has that great timeless quality. And this I have to say about the the costumes. Again, I'm not in vogue at all. But a lot of what, like, a lot of, like, the sweaters or whatever, the, the or jackets that Brad Pitt was wearing, I'd go, yeah, I'd wear that today if I could. Like, that looks, it is timeless. Fashion it's a great era. No, it, it hasn't to an extent, but it is a timeless era. You know, it's one of the, yeah, it's... it's uh, His suits look amazing. His suits because look great. There were so many times where Marianne was like, you're you're in a suit. You're in a different suit, you know? Well, why are you dressed up? And, right. Like, he looked great in every single shade of color his suits were. Right. Yeah. Now, I, I thought costuming, again, it's a great time. Even if you watch Casablanca, which is in black and white. I love that film. You see the like again, the cost like the German time gray, yep. blue or blue. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's it's just, it is a timeless period. Uh I hope that she gets recognized uh in one way, shape, or form for her work and allied. You know, it could potentially Do you be think a, she get nominated? 
it might be one of the only ones outside of of potential visual effects work, but she could. Right now, I you know nothing else really jumps to mind. She might, maybe against La La Land. Yeah, but. I mean, you know, it's it'll be interesting. I I hope so. I someday, Joanna, you know. I'm with you. You know, if I had any say, you would have won the Academy Award a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And she's worked with the greats. She's worked with people like Spielberg. Yeah. So she knows her stuff. Good for her. And uh, I, I do say good for her. And, um, you know, I wish, I, I, you know, it's, it's, she's in England. It would be great to reach out. I'd love to have her on the show. I'd love to like talk to her about just Maybe her career. For a anatomy, yeah, so throw that out there. Somebody pass that out to her. That we'd love to have her on the show. Putting it out into the universe. So, um, do we want to talk a little bit about reception and such? Um, well, we, you know, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the music. Yeah, I mean, another. You're you're always you know, like you and I are probably the biggest on the music every single anatomy. Yes, Alan Silvestri. Who's worked with Zemeckis so many times? This is their yeah. 16th collaboration together. Yeah. Um, for large parts, it was a very small, low key score. It was. And what they used for temp tracks in this movie was Castaway. Castaway music. Uh huh. For temp tracks. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I was watching, it was a very low key score. Like, even in scenes where you would think that score was going to enhance suspense or whatever. Score in this movie was very subtle, but it had the Alan Silvestri uh, flair to it. Like, I just knew, I go, oh, this has to be Alan Silvestri, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he's such a great collaborator, again, with Zemeckis. Um, you know, the guy's no slouch when it comes to scoring movies, and I thought that it was well done. Right. I think one moment of the movie that I, like, or maybe two moments, that I really, really noticed it was when the plane was crashing down and almost killed them. Oh, yeah. Ball. Yeah. Um, that, that I think that was, like, really bombastic. Um, and then also when they go to the jeweler, the, the shady jeweler guy, and he takes him out by... Sh- you you mean when they sitting- go to the shop? Yeah. Right. And Marianne's literally just sitting in the car, and there's really no dialogue for a full minute, which was painful to watch. But yeah. only the music was underlying that, like, built that suspense it, of what is happening right now. It was very, very, um, yeah, I mean, it was very well done, and you're right, it went on for a while. I mean, that, that was... A little too long. That was one of the, that was one of the things that, um, I guess, in a sense, that, built suspense tried to build suspense and and in a case where we sort of kind of knew she was the spy so um i i'm trying to find uh what this movie may have been but you know it's funny this is also a guy he directed that movie death becomes her that <laughs> uh, you know with with, with 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 meryl goldie streep hahn. and goldie hahn and that film. too was was just, was one of the things the first time where we see where somebody gets shot and you <laughs> see through the person like you know like this Hysteric. guy, yeah. That's a that's a great film. If you were ever to do your retrospective on a film, uh, I would love to cover that one too. Yeah, and he produced um, uh, for you folks um, Tales from the Crypt. Mm. It was one of the HBO long running yeah. series that 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 became a couple of movies. Um, you know, he he, uh, you know, this guy has done. You know his bit for King and Queen, whether it be TV and and he's and done. whatnot. He's 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 uh he's a very you know. Listen, what can you do? I mean, the guy's been around forever. He deserves whatever accolades he gets later on in life and going forward. He's earned his cred. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, so now, um, was there anything else that we missed before we start talking about budgets and reception and uh, no, I think and such. So. Uh, the movie had come out on December 6th, uh, Paramount, and... Um, Actually, it came out the 23rd. Uh, was it the 23rd of... Uh, I mean, yeah, it was we, the 23rd we were of November? Yeah, this dissection, yeah. Um, it was two weeks ago. Yeah, it came out the... No, I'm released wrong. released November 23rd. Wow, we are late on this dissection. Yeah. Wow, late. so well, you know what that means? We'll have higher ratings because more people have seen the movie and want to talk about it. That's very That's true. the way I look at it. So $85 million budget, which... Just for a production budget for for a World War II time period movie, it's high. 
I think it's low. Really? I think for for a period piece movie with all of the sets that you would have to do, I thought eighty five. I would have figured at least a hundred. But when you factor in hard drives and advertising and stuff, then you get over. 100. You probably you know you get over a hundred. It um, let's see on Rotten Tomatoes, we're looking at sixty one percent, which is the. Which is one of the rare times. No, it's not terrible. The audience is seventy-one. Yeah, so it's a little bit higher. Cinema score is B. It's a B. Which that's kind of low. Do you agree with that? A B. A B for this movie. I was gonna go B B plus. Yeah, say B plus. Um, and I would say for a sixty-one percent, if I were going percentage wise, I might give it a seventy. You know, I don't think it was like. Again, I found the movie to be enjoyable. I had hoped for it to be better. Because of the talent involved, um, and because yeah. I will always be rooting for Robert Zemeckis, um, it didn't reach like those heights um, for me. But regardless, it, it's still a good movie to be seen on a big screen. Like it's gorgeous, just you because of the way like, that it, I, it's shot. Did you see this film in IMAX? Was it even in IMAX? Form? No, it I didn't. Been IMAX. Yeah, but I didn't know. I, I, I didn't. Gorgeous, especially yeah. with the the air raids and all the bombing. It would have been amazing oh, in IMAX. I got to bring this up too about the air raids and the bombings. They weren't too dark. As an audience, you were able to see pretty much. Everything happening, whether it were in the foreground or in the background, I thought that was great. The scene with the plane was great too, because that's a typical. That's a great Robin to Megas Flair because they're looking up. One of the party members goes, "All right, we got one," mm-hmm. and then you see the plane just start careening and coming down, and they're like going, "Oh wait, we got one. We got <laughs> like, what are we gonna do?" Right, and, and the fire. It, it was a great scene. Uh, when you break it down. So there's much to applaud about the movie. And if you hadn't seen it and you're watching us, all right, so you already know the plot. But if you have seen it, what did you think about the movie? Tell us what you thought visually mm-hmm. and from a direction standpoint. I, I, I wasn't bored. I wasn't bored that. because I was really, I you know, needless to say, I was intrigued by the story. I kind of wanted like a, a little twist at the end. Like, what if she wasn't a spy? And all this was for naught, you right. know? Like, I think that would have been cool. But the whole slow build-up, him going to, like, this person, and then this person, and then this person, just to learn a little bit more about her and to confirm his his doubts and mm-hmm. stuff. But, like, I, I think all it was a slow burn of figuring out all these things about who this person is, which we already no. Yeah, one one other plot. Like he was a little too slow to get there. Yeah, one plot point though that I do want to bring up because it was a tragic plot point. He he finds that airman, he finds that pilot. Yeah. And he says, "Hey, when you go there, give you this and I want you to I want you to ask him about this person. This is confidential. This is just you." And the guy's like, "Okay, you know, I'll do that for you. All right, fly safe." No. Nope. And then we come to find out that because he sent him on that mission, because of Max's decision to do that, that pilot crashed, burned, got killed. Yeah. And I found that to be, I found that to be like a, a decent part of the story that maybe his obsession with this, it's now it's a, now it's seeping out where it's not just affecting him, but it's, it's affecting, it's affecting other, people. other people. And yeah. he too, being an airman, you know, can feel the tragic loss of this young soldier. The camaraderie. Yeah. And it, yeah. Like, I liked how you brought that up too, because it shows that not only is he affected, but other people have died because of this woman. Yeah. And he was now solely like in kind of in blame at, at fault for someone else's death because of his wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very interesting scene. And I felt bad for the guy because How could you not? Once they established him, he was already nervous as all hell yeah. just to go on be behind enemy lines for the first yeah. time and then give him in a confidential mission that literally gets him killed. Yeah. Was just like he obviously did not deserve that. Yeah. It's it's it was an interesting plot point to put into the movie um, made it more personal. It made it more personal. Yep, yep, yep. So, well, I think we've I think we've talked. Um, we we've gone up, down, front, 
center, yep. right, left, about allied. And, and um, so why don't we begin to wrap this up? Uh, final thoughts on allied, Marissa? Um, I enjoyed it. If you if you like a visual spectac- spectacle, watch this film definitely. If you like a good thriller uh, about you know j- just a, like a good thriller story, watch this film. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for like a completely crazy film that you think a lot's going to happen, don't watch this. Film. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I would overall, say I enjoyed it. if you want to see filmmaking done from a bygone era that mixes today's technology, um, this is a movie to go see. If you're a film nut, you're a film historian and, and geek like we are here, you'll enjoy aspects of this movie because you'll go, oh, okay, I get the Casablanca. Oh, okay, this is from, this is a little Hitchcocky. Oh, Lawrence of Arabia. I want to watch you'll, Casablanca again. You'll, you'll appreciate that. You'll appreciate the aspects and the time and detail that Zemeckis put into making it like that movie. Mm-hmm. And it is an original story. So... Uh, There we go. We've wrapped up on Allied. Please stay tuned because in the coming weeks we have movies like La La Land. We're we're getting into the award season. Then we got this uh, tiny film Rogue One, which comes out uh, in about a a week's time. You know, we have Passengers uh, at some point. Then we've got, uh, you know, Nocturnal Animals. We've got Fences. We've got... All of these movies that we will be getting to uh, at some point in time. So be allies with us be able, and, and, and continue to watch movies and continue to tune in. Thank you very much for all your help and support and comment. Uh, take care. We'll see you guys at the movies. Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.